listeners, welcome back to the Hosman FC podcast, part of the LIP podcast network. I'm Nicola Volpi, and I'm joined by someone with an awfully smug look on his face after that Champions League draw. It's Roy Cycli. Seven years, seven years without the Champions League, and the the football gods graced us with a Europa League draw oh. in the Champions League. <laughs> Fighting words already. Welcome home to a group with Sevilla, the Europa League champions, PSV Eindhoven, and RC Lens. Vibe check? I mean, feeling pretty good so far. I don't want to come off overconfident, but I think Lens is going to struggle from last year's success they had in uh, Ligue 1 to <laughs> almost, almost, they almost took the title last year. They with did. They had a team, great run. When you look at the players, it's really tough to find any household names um so they might struggle from the the rise to champions league football the extra matches and then either you know tank in the league or put up a stinker in a champions league but Sevilla every year they're either in Europa winning it or make it to the third place in champions league just so they can go down to the Europa league and then win it all part of the PSV PSV last year we had a nice Europa League bout with them, um, so feeling quite confident. confident. How are you feeling with AC Milan's easy draw? Uh, being uh, dubbed the group of death with PSG of Qatar, Newcastle Ooh. United of Saudi Arabia, Ooh. and Borussia Dortmund. It's uh, it's okay. I mean, three teams which have been to the final in the last fifteen years. Um, I must say only one champion in the group that's won the Champions League on seven occasions. Who is that? Uh, it's us. Uh, so it's it's quite a group. It's intriguing. At the beginning, I was like, come on. Especially when I look at Inter's group, I was like, come on, just our luck. Of course, we end up in a group of death. And then I'm like, it's more fun that way though, right? Like you want to watch Champions League that Tuesday, Wednesday night and have it be something different. Get a bit of a buzz from those games, which you don't from... Definitely not from City, yeah. So, uh, so yeah, let's see. I mean, Newcastle, yes, on paper, and they have Santo Tonali, whatever, but they will be in for a rude awakening. Like, the Champions League with players that haven't played in it is a totally different animal. I saw it with Milan two seasons ago when we had just finished uh, second in Serie A. Nobody had played in it from our team, and you could tell the difference. We got pummeled every match in the last 15 minutes or so. That's the key. Yeah, I think it's going to be very interesting. Um, I think the same thing happens to Newcastle where they maybe outperformed last year to sneak into Champions League. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry for all the Newcastle fans. They played they played last year some really atrocious stuff. I think I've been on the <laughs> podcast talking about Eddie Howe's style of play and it no longer is going to work this season where they had the lowest in-game possession or the balls in play for the lowest amount out of all the EPL teams last year, mm. with the ball average 55 minutes per game of the ball in play um, versus the EPL normal, I think was around 61 minutes. And that's Eddie Howe classic right there. Um, just the big defenders, they play some ad- decent attractive football, but they just time waste, they foul nonstop, they kick the ball out like a... Yeah. And I, I think that does not work in the Champions League, and I don't know if their squad's deep enough. I know they they brought in Tonali and um, Isak last January, but their depth, not sure if it's there to to compete on two fronts to what they want to do is continue to stay in the Champions League. Mm. Maybe not go all the way this year, but they have the money for a long-term project and investment. But I don't think they're going to be able to do much, and I'm not sure how Eddie Howe does in the Champions League as a manager as well yeah. i think year one is always calibration it there is something totally different about it this group has all the narrative though right tonali coming back to san siro to a standing ovation gigio donnarumma coming back to san siro for a totally different type of ovation based are on you gonna Harima. bring are you gonna bring go to the san siro and bring some money and throw it at donnarumma and the goal wasn't that a not long ago, the fans were throwing money at him in the goal. Oh, definitely, definitely. I mean, uh, m- monopoly money, whatever you want. Like, uh, 
the guy burned every possible bridge. Uh, he he probably deserves a lot of what's uh, what's so coming. What for happened? Him. He just went on a free. Is that why he burned every bridge? Or he ran it down intentionally. Was ultimately offered what he asked for, and then. Uh, once he came back with tail between the legs, Maldini at the time just told him, no, you know what? Magic Mike's coming in. And the rest is history. We won a title with Magic Mike. Donnarumma screwed up the Champions League in PSG, and he's he's on the downswing. But you know what? No grudges there. Cause I, I don't wanna... know about downswing. <laughs> yeah, but, you know, it's not the same. Like, you can tell he's not as sharp as he was uh, playing. Uh, he, looks, he looks a little heavy every now London. and then. Yeah, hey, well, there you go. I mean... The one I really miss was his uh, his older brother, who was part of his contract, who was just there as the babysitter on the bench for five. We or have six to years. do a, a pod or an episode where we just talk about really good footballers whose brothers were on the team, just because of how talented they were. We had it also many years ago with Kaká. He brought his brother Digao. A center I didn't even back. No, he had a brother. No, we tried to send him alone whenever we could, but I think he always stayed on the books. It was, uh, it was brilliant. He looked just like his brother, except he was, uh, he was a center back. I think he was one of the kids, you know, where in Brazil they just put you to play defense when you're the worst one on the on the schoolyard. So, this probably what happened. But there is the group of vibes I'm calling it. Group C with Napoli, Real Madrid, Sporting Club Braga. And welcome to the Champions League for the very first time, Union Berlin. The story for the Berlin team is amazing. It's um, huge. I, I had read the stat that they had a hundred and or maybe it's thirteen thousand or a hundred and thirty-four thousand uh, hours of fan labor to rebuild the stadium, free labor, exactly um, several years ago to build it, and the rise to, you know, getting relegated to just coming back, making the Champions League and going to upset Real Madrid in one of the games. Yeah. It's just incredible. And they've done it methodically. They've, I mean, they've come into the Bundesliga. Then the next season they qualified uh, for, well, first they got safe. Then they got Europa League. Now they get Champions League. It's really something special. There's a book I read actually this spring called Scheiße, We're Going Up, Shit, We're Going Up by Kit Holden, which really charts their, their history. Super fascinating. And, I mean, the antithesis of Real Madrid going to the Bernabeu, right? Like, uh, quite the narrative there. And uh, and then welcome back to the Champions League, second year in a row for another rude awakening, FC Copenhagen, in a group with Bayern Munich, Manchester United, and Galatasaray. Good luck. Well, do you really think it's that difficult? Do Genuinely, for, for Copenhagen to maybe sneak in on spot three or two. Their sneak in would be maybe a point against Galatasaray. I do not, at home. I don't see anything more than that happening. Like the the gap at this stage, like Danish football is a feeder to Dutch football. Like that's where it's at right now. You know, so it's um it's gonna be tough. I mean, uh, I'm happy for them if they if they manage the upset, uh, but. It's going to be Harry Kane coming here to park in. It's going to be Rashford coming here. It's a different animal. Well, I, I'll give you that. I think they take zero of six points against Bayern Munich, but I think they can snag a point against Manchester United home or away. They're having trouble scoring. I say this on the eve of us, of Arsenal playing <laughs> Man U, and I'm going to eat my words and never come back on this podcast again, but... If really the the issue of a team just if they can keep it compact, there's no reason why they can't, you know, grab a draw or even a win against Galatasaray. I don't think there's a big gap in between Galatasaray and the Danish team. You know who's there now? Where? Galatasaray. I mean, did Icardi go back again? I think Icardi's there. I know Dries Mertens was there. From yep. uh, you remember him from from Napoli? Oh, of course, Icardi is there, and Wilf Zaha went there this summer. That is true. Wilf Zaha went. The streets will remember him at Crystal no. Palace. And I think Hakim Ziyech was also going over. I think he uh, failed his medical again. Oh, classic! How does he manage to keep doing that? I don't know. I he don't must know. have hamstrings like yours. Hey, man, it's not true. <laughs> but then there's the hardcore group. I call it. 
Group E, Feyenoord, Atletico Madrid, Lazio, and Celtic. Ugh, that's a gross, just... <laughs> How about that? That's oh, a man. gross. Feyenoord, I... Atletico. Nothing to say there. I mean, uh, and I mean, also there, anything could happen. I mean, let's see. Uh, good luck to whoever comes out of that in the next round. Uh, and then, yeah, everything else is is quite average. Like one very strong team, a medium team, and then uh, and then two. What two behemoths did Manchester City go up against this year? Again, Red Bull Leipzig. Yeah, and then they have Red Star Belgrade and uh, BSC Young Boys from Bern. So, uh, exactly. Some, some so we already know the winners that come out of those groups. Yeah, exactly. Then you have Group H is Barca, Porto, Shakhtar Donetsk, who is a perennial uh, upsetter in the group stage, and Royal Antwerp, the one we were all dreaming of. And then uh, where is this other one? Group D is Benfica, Inter, Red Bull Salzburg, and Real Sociedad, which actually... My boys. Yeah. I mean, I'd love to see it. Real Sociedad first, followed by Benfica. Third, Red Bull Salzburg, and Inter going home. I think I take Real Sociedad going out of the group. Going out or winning the group? As in advancing to the next I'd to love the next to stages, see it. to the I'd, knockouts. I'd Honestly, I'd love to see it. They've but... got a decent team. And I'm not just saying that because I've been a fan since uh, FIFA 2011, <laughs> Carlos Vela, Antoine Griezmann. They but have a, a decent team. Um, for years now, for three, four years, I think they've they've been up there playing for, they've been a shoo-in for Europe. They won a Copa del Rey. I mean, I, I like them. And it's and it's really a, a good vibes club uh, from uh, from up there. Big rivals of Athletic Bilbao, but now kind of taking their seat as the, the Basque champion. No more David Silva. He retired. No, he retired over the summer, indeed. David Silva, one of the best midfielders of his generation. I think he tore it. Did he tear his ACL? Was that it? And he, then he just retired? He had one final big injury, yeah. And then he yeah, said, I think you know he what? tore it at the end of last season or over the summer. Yeah. Which always, I beg the question, does the club pay for his rehab? Or at that point, is he just kind of rehabbing on his own now that he's retired? I don't think... Uh, he'll he'll starve if he has to pay for his own rehab. I'll put it that way. You never know. They're really <laughs> you never know. Money sometimes. You never know. You know, maybe his uh, his mother might go into it, barricade herself into a church and go on a hunger strike. Let's hope so. <laughs> well, not to David Silva's mother, but Luis Rubiales. Well, it depends what David Silva did. Well, also true. We will never know. But no accusations thrown around on this podcast, uh, other than uh, of the absolute uh, disgusting behavior of the of the head of the Spanish FA, which has managed to make Spain's World Cup victory all about him, which we just didn't need at all. Yeah, it's uh, pretty disgusting, and we didn't touch on it on the last pod. But for those who want to really maybe a better synopsis of the situation, Ian Wright's pod has um, a great explanation of what's going on and some of the backstory leading up to up to that moment and some things that I didn't know. For example, yeah. some of the Barcelona women's Barcelona players uh, boycotted this World Cup and some of the star players that would be in the Spanish team's 11, preferred 11, um, going directly against the kind of the decisions and the injustice that they felt they faced and just kind of at the the peak of their power, uh -huh, um, uh -huh. just really just making the moment about you and showing everybody your true colors is pretty disgusting. Um, Absolutely, and I think yeah, it's well, uh, yep. it's potentially a watershed moment, right on uh, on the other side of the coin. But uh, also, yeah, there's a lot of great coverage about this. I've been reading a lot about it in the Athletic, and like you said, they're like going back now and they're uncovering all the the beef with Jorge Vilda also the coach really shouldn't have been there I mean the players were celebrating after matches without even looking at him there was a reason for all of this and now it's all starting you know to to come out and is that the coach and I think I saw a video on Twitter or X as people call it of the <laughs> he like physically like pinches and like slaps the players and like yeah not in a playful way it's no. really weird and gross um exactly and it's like, why would I want to play for a coach like that? And then how does it, how do they get away with it? Which, you know, it's the tale as old as time, but still just now that it's coming to the forefront, 
you know, hopefully the the right punishments are served. It's pretty sickening. I think the um, what's what's this guy's name? The bald guy, the evil villain, Rubialis. Rubialis is the vice president of UEFA. Yeah, one of them. Um, so talk about just the corrupt system through and through. So yeah, and unfortunately, are we surprised that? an organization like UEFA and, and FIFA, you know, allows these guys to make a career? No. I mean, no, but also at the same time, yes, surprised. Just, it's like, and maybe this is like the hind- hindsight right. bias, but you're just kind of like, how did how the hell does this happen? Yeah, and where how it, does it get so far for so long? And it's not like a league or a, something where it's behind closed doors. There's so many cameras on you at all times, a mm-hmm. lot of interviews. Um I mean, it just takes an epic slip up for this to just unfold, which is kind of crazy and really, again, just disturbing to all those things that happened behind closed doors for years now where now you have to say, oh, maybe so-and-so was telling the truth or maybe there was merit to this story. Um, never a good good way to find out about things like that. But yeah, well, maybe Nick will link the the pod in the description if anyone wants to listen to it i think it's really yeah. good listen in general and yeah. huge and right fan so um just yeah. want to touch on that because obviously we didn't do it justice last week when we should have definitely and ian wright is actually the guy to go to with these things he's been an ardent supporter of of women's football soccer for for more than a decade now he was there in australia the whole tournament he's he's really covering it in the same amount of depth he covers the men's game so if you want really an insider's take uh, go to righty. And uh, yes, though, Roy, it is the end of transfer season. Listeners, welcome back to Hussman FC transfer season. As said, Roy and I wanted to do a segment dedicated to transfers, not covering today's transfers, 50% of which are to Saudi Arabia. But Roy, going nostalgic doing what we love to do the most and talking about the ones that got away transfers, which were set and for whatever reason did not materialize uh, at the last minute. What we're going to do is we're each going to present a couple of these and just roll with it and see what parallel football universe that would have created. You ready, Roy? I'm ready. Let's do it. Let's do it. Hit me with your first one. All right. First one. And I remember this vividly sitting in, um, my house in 2010 and reading a Bleacher Report article on a young striker, Robert Lewandowski, mm. making his way to Big Sam at Blackburn Rovers in 2010. Oh, God. Oh, God. Big so, Sam Allardyce. Big Sam Allardyce, 2010 Blackburn Rovers. Beautiful kit. Team of misfits that went around. And, you know, funny enough, well, not funny enough, but Big Sam didn't last to January that season, they were so bad. Um, But just at the time, I remember reading this and being shocked when the follow-up report was, you know, they agreed for a deal for 4 million for Lewandowski. He was 21 at the time at um, his his club in Poland. Lech Poznan, right? Yeah, that's correct. I was going to ask you. Mm -hmm. Um, The reason it didn't go through, there was volcanic, a a volcanic ash cloud in Iceland. Volcano. That grounded all the flights in England. And so his agent, Lewandowski's agent, came out and said, it doesn't make sense for us to drive because that would take too much time. So at this moment, we're not interested in Blackburn, essentially, is the is the gist. So oh, he was on his way to the UK, essentially, got stopped at the airport from Poland. And from there, he he wanted to make the move. So where did he go that summer? Borussia Dortmund. Correct. Where he went on to have a decent career at <laughs> Dortmund um, and in the Bundesliga in general from 2010 to 2022. Yeah. Where we had 384 Bundesliga appearances. How many goals do you think he would have scored during that time? League goals? League goals only. 300. Wow. 312. Jeez. With 75 assists. What so a player. he went to Dortmund for the same price, essentially, a little less than um, than the $4 million. So it's $3.5 million to Dortmund. 
when no. he was on his way, he was agreed on to go to Blackburn for Big Sam, but volcanic ash in Iceland grounded all flights. And I thought at the time when I was reading that, just really dumb. They couldn't wait like another 72 hours. They just right. called off the whole deal. Um, but maybe he was a superstitious person where he said, this is a, a bad sign. Maybe I don't want to go to the glorious Blackburn Rovers. Man, and that was the half blue, half white kit of Blackburn, right? Of course. Of oh, course legendary. It was. Legendary. But so he goes to Dortmund and he goes right away into a Klopp team, wins two Bundesliga titles right away. And then becomes a villain, makes a switch, yeah. like many do, to Bayern. Brings and... them to a Champions League final first, though. Yeah. That, yeah. But yeah, man, that's. I think going to Dortmund was probably one of the best things that could have happened. If the alternative was fighting relegation at Blackburn in a big Sam team and getting his legs broken every other match. Yeah, and I'm sure, well, he maybe would have some be- really good practice for his Polish team where yeah. he's isolated by 20 yards from every position um, and they just punt the ball up to him and he has to produce some magic. But, you know, if that if that transfer goes through, does he have the same trajectory to being the world's best player at one point? I mean, I think he's he's a disciplined machine. So at some point he reaches a height, but I think the Blackburn move actually slows down his development, right? Because he's not in a Klopp team which is feeding him a really good Klopp team that wins the Bundesliga, actually, with, you know, the Goetzes and Gunduans and whatever around him. Nuri Sahin. Nuri Sahin. Don't, the streets definitely won't forget him. The The streets of Madrid might, but not the streets yeah. of Dortmund. <laughs> um, so I think that actually slows down his development maybe a couple of years, and he has to make, you know, some sort of intermediate jump between Blackburn and uh, and a big club rather than doing that Dortmund-Bayern uh, switch, which has made him probably the best pure number nine uh, of, of his generation. Yeah, I think also just, I don't know, how footballing works in general. If he goes down with that Blackburn team, what club, what Dortmund is going to take a a chance on him? Because he's going to be right. on, a, on the highest stage and odds are you're not scoring 25 goals for Blackburn Rovers and getting relegated. So, no, exactly. you know, who knows where his career goes from there. It could go, you know, stall out for a while. And then he has a, you know, he, he becomes the player he does seven, eight years down the line instead of a couple years later, you know, banging in 20 goals a season. Right. And instead of having that extended 10 you know, 12 year prime, you end up having a much more normal four or five. Uh, and uh, and it's totally different, the, the narrative. Maybe he doesn't end up, you know, at Barca like he is now. What's very intriguing about that is he's coming from Lech Poznan at the time. He's still technically a nobody. Nowadays, I think he gets noticed by bigger clubs other than just, and it's no offense to Dortmund, but maybe scouting wise with the availability of information now he already gets noticed by a manchester city or whatever yeah i don't think he's staying at 21 years old in today's climate um right at poznan he's moving to dortmund at 19 or 18 maybe Mm -hmm. 20 at the most but 21 you know you're not making a jump like that they would have taken a chance a lot earlier so that when you're 21 you end up at manchester city a la holland Right. But there's another sliding doors aspect to this, right? Where say he goes to Blackburn. What about Dortmund? And what about Jurgen Klopp? Like, it's it's not obvious that without that top striker, they win those leagues or make that Champions League run. Meaning, it's not obvious that we end up with a Jurgen Klopp five years later as the face of Liverpool Football Club. Yeah, I guess that could be true. I, I you know, I know this is the whole point, but... It takes a lot for me to make the stretch from A to to Klopp not being Liverpool Klopp to B. You, you'd have to think they would have taken a flyer on. I don't know what striker you would think. Yeah. You know, tall, because Lewandowski ne- never was necessarily like fast, but he's strong and athletic. There's mm-hmm. got to be a striker out there at the time who, you know, could have done somewhat of a comparable job. Could be, could be. There is yet another 
effect. You mentioned volcano. When that volcano erupted, Roy, 2010 Champions League semifinals. The volcano erupted. There was a cloud over all of Europe. Barca had to go to Milano to play in Mourinho's Inter. And they had to take the boss because UEFA, of course, could not postpone the match even by a week. So Barca, they don't sleep all night. They come to Milano. They get romped 3-1. to one. Inter goes on to win the Champions League. I'm just saying, no Volcano, maybe one less Champions League for Mourinho, and I don't have to live hearing about Inter's treble for the rest of my life. Is that the same match where Mourinho went and was shushing the... The <laughs> that's the re- that's the return leg where they went the to Camp Nou and basically they sat 11 at the back with Samuel Eto'o playing left back essentially and they uh, they lost 1-0 but defended their guts out took the win and then uh, he runs he's celebrating to the Barca fans as the groundskeepers at the Camp Nou are turning on all the sprinklers onto the interplayers yeah and then you have Victor Valdez acting like a responsible adult telling Mourinho to relax and yeah. stop act like you've been there before, buddy. Yeah, act um, like you've been there. But uh, yeah, unreal. And then that's the beginning of uh, of really villain, villain Mourinho, right? Because that summer he ends up actually after the final, he stays in Madrid, signs with Florentino, and we all know how the next three, four years play out uh, in the Barca rivalry. So yeah, I mean, volcano, volcano. Like, thank you for Robert Lewandowski, and no, thank you for. Uh, for Mourinho's Inter. All right. So hit me with one. Okay, I got one, Roy. This, I'm going to take you for a little ride. Um, this might hurt at times, knowing your uh, your allegiances. I'm just taking my notes here. I've basically oh, written, no. a, written a little novella. So it's 2000. It's a gray day in North London, uh, literally and figuratively. There's a, a tall Swede with long, dark hair sitting across from... Arsene Wenger in the office. And uh, Monsieur Wenger tells him, uh, Zlatan, I think you do really well, but uh, you, you need to come for a trial. Okay, uh, you're great. I want you in my team, but you need to come for a trial, Zlatan. Zlatan essentially you know, tells him where to go and uh, ends up going to, uh, to Ajax uh, the next summer. And we all know where, where we go from Zlatan from there. He was that close, that close, going to Arsenal in 2000. And now let's let's take it back. Imagine Wenger signs him up then and there. In 2000, an 18, 19-year-old Slatan Ibrahimovic, who's still at Malmo in Sweden at the time, goes to play for Arsenal. Now, before I continue, you know, with the with the narrative here, Roy, I just, just want your thoughts on that. Slatan uh, in the Arsenal strip, a young Slatan, still tall and lanky and dribbly. He would have been gone in two years or less. Well, Nicholas let's Anelka see. style. So, but that's very important that you mention Nicolas Anelka because I think Wenger has his learnings from Nicolas Anelka at this point. And he says, Zlatan, I'm going to leave you alone one season at Malmö. And Zlatan does the season. The, the seasons are phased out because the Swedes are on a different calendar. And then... Wenger sends him away on loan again, another six months to France. He says, uh, Zlatan, make your bones. And then finally, 2001-2002 season, Zlatan's in that locker room. He's two years older, and he gets the mentoring. Think of that locker room he's coming into. No, He's not the king like he is in the Ajax locker room. There's no messing around with those guys. Vieira putting him in his place. TT next to him. Think about it. You thinking? I'm thinking. Okay. So he gets this mentoring. He's partnering Henri up front while Dennis Berhamp is aging. So Berhamp, you know, takes a bit of a backseat, starts to play a bit more of a super sub. Now forget the Invincibles. Arsenal goes on a run now with Slatan there from 2002 to 2004, where not only does the Invincible season happen, but they already win the title the year before instead of Man United because they have the leg up. They have that missing piece, that extra striker. And then not only that, Roy, but that 2004 season, they also win the Champions League. That year, if you remember, they had gotten out in the quarters to a Claudio Ranieri Chelsea team 
right? Right before Abramovich bought the club. And the final that year of Champions League was Monaco against Porto. So it was a highway. It was a highway which was open for them. In this scenario, they win that Champions League. And so what happens then? 2004, he's not at Ajax. He's at Arsenal. He just won a Champions League. So he doesn't need to make that move to Juventus. He's good where he is, right? Now, parallel narrative. 2004, Arsenal wins the Champions League means Mourinho's Porto doesn't win the Champions League, Roy. So Mourinho doesn't make the jump, actually, to Abramovich's Chelsea that summer. He has to do another extra step. So Mourinho goes to Valencia, okay? His energy, still scrappy mentality, a bit underdogs, but he gets to be in La Liga. And so Arsenal and United, because Mourinho doesn't go to Chelsea, still share the spoils between them. There's not that transition uh, to Chelsea. We, you with me up until now? I'm with you up until now. Okay. You liked Mourinho to Valencia, huh? Yeah, he would have been coaching if he was there around 2007. David Villa, David yeah. Silva. That would be nice, huh? but wait. In 2005, Slatan gets the call from Florentino, who tells him, Slatan, come to Madrid, play with your boyhood idol, R9 the real Ronaldo, and he can't say no. So they part ways, world record transfer fee, everyone's happy. Vengo gets his money before the stadium years already to build the squad a bit. Imagine that, not having to sell everyone. And Slatan has, you know, his first season at Real, things go, go all right. And then after two stellar seasons at Valencia, Mourinho gets the Madrid job. And this reun- this, this union of Zlatan and Mourinho, which happened at Inter in 2006, happens anyway, but it happens in Madrid. Wow, that was a, that wasn't a novella. That was an epic right there. It, it's not over. Oh my. I, I'm just letting you interject if there's, if you're not I able still, to picture it. I can picture everything except for the first thing of the ego of Zlatan being on that team, the Arsenal team. Because I don't think any kind of mentoring <laughs> fixes that. You don't call yourself God just because there's a couple of years of somebody being tougher than you in the locker room or putting you in your place. I think you are who you are. I there's, don't know. Yeah, okay. I think there's an aspect there of who you surround yourself with. Because if he doesn't go to Ajax at that time, he doesn't meet Minoraiola, his hard-ass agent who he met in Amsterdam at the time. And potentially yeah, right, he surrounds himself with a better uh, entourage, a more civil, if you will, entourage. So that's I, what I I'm thinking of. So yeah, now he's at Real. He's uh, at Real with Mourinho. And Real actually gets it right this time. And they break the La Decima taboo and win the Champions League already in 2008 instead of having to wait until 2014. This there's a bunch of ripples here, right? So they don't end up getting Benzema because they have Slatan. So Benzema goes from Lyon, Roy, straight to Arsenal. Arsenal. Yeah. We've heard that one before. And you're hearing it now. It would have happened. It could have happened. Wow. He's dreaming. He's staring off into the distance. It's too bad. This is just an audio media blisters. And then in 2009, though, Florentino can't resist. And he brings in Cristiano anyways. So Slatan leaves. And, <laughs> and, at th- and at this point, you know, he's had a, a stellar, you know, last nine years between Arsenal and, uh, and Real Madrid. He's still at this sort of peak prime level of 28, 29. But there's no particular pull uh, in Italy, right? Or Premier League. So where does Slatan goes in those years? He goes to Bayern Munich. Ooh. From Real Madrid to Bayern Munich. And then what this means here is so there is no Mourinho at Inter in that 2009-2010 season. And we remember who Inter beat in that final. So Bayern ends up winning that Champions League right away in 2010. 
there is no Slatan to PSG in 2012. He ends up going back to Arsenal. No. Where he is united, Roy, with Jose Mourinho. And in 2015, they actually win the Champions League. Mic drop. Wait, he goes back to Arsenal with Jose Mourinho? Yeah. As coach? Moo gets the Arsenal job. Oh. His first Premier League job now. And calls him. But it's a different Mourinho, Roy. He never went to Chelsea. You're not changing the person. You're not changing the person. How dare you? Influenced by the events. Disrespectful ending to a story. Boo. (laughs) Boo. Oh, my gosh. It's a different person. He's not the special one anymore. There's no different person. Oh, man. You would have loved it. Up until the end, I was was understanding a little bit. one question, though, in this whole thing with Inter winning the Champions League, I think... Well, they don't. In it, this it, with, with them not winning, yeah, that please. Barca dynasty would have been terrifying. They would have won every Champions League mm. in that period of time, what, up until 2011 or 12, maybe. They would the have Guardiola won... The Guardiola team, yeah. They would have won everything. I think in this scenario, it still happens. It still happens, the Barca team, because most of that team was developed, you know, in-house. So I don't see how it wouldn't happen. Yeah. Well, when Inter stopped them the one year by Jose. Yeah. So if there's no Jose at Inter, they're walking to another title. No Bayern Munich, anything. They go three straight. Three straight. But you don't think that Bayern with Slatan could beat them in that 2010? No. No, I mean, that was the best 2009 to 2011, maybe 2008 to the, the midfield for Barcelona. And they, it was just no words to describe it. It was probably some of the best total football you'll see. They can't, no team can replicate that now. Even when they say that, you know, Manchester city, they were perfect. They had the treble what that Barcelona team did to you. Do you remember the final against the Champions League final against uh, Fergie's Man U? Yeah, 2011. They just destroyed Manchester United. It was different levels of uh, of football. Totally, totally. It and was, you couldn't get the ball off of them. You couldn't, that's the thing. You couldn't get the ball off of them. Um, and we wanted to talk about, or we've talked about in the past, how you, you think possession-based Football and stats are pointless. Well, I, <laughs> I didn't watching, say pointless. Watching that, watching that kind of football, you know, the, the other team cannot hurt you when they can't get the ball um, from you. So, just watching those games were so frustrating. Obviously, being on the the wrong side of those uh, Champions League draws against Barcelona and Messi mm-hmm. in his prime. You know, I don't think anyone gets in front of them. And if you take the only roadblock which was Mourinho's tactics um away a literal from roadblock literal road roadblock then the other thing I'm not sure if Zlatan if he if he stays there's no Robin Van Persie era of bringing in a young a young Van Persie to understudy right. um which you know had its own cascade of effects as well for the Arsenal side but bringing in the money for the stadium. Remember, we sold all the players. We didn't have a transfer budget. Right. You know, we sold the fan favorites as well. Let Henri go because we needed money for the stadium. If you bring that in with selling Zlatan, maybe we get a run out of Champions League in 2007, 2008, where, you know, Fabregas was becoming the new general of the team. We had some aging players, but... We didn't have to sell some of our, you know, best assets for money for a stadium. So it's yeah. really interesting there. But end of the day, I like this daydream. But Zlatan never making it at Arsenal solely based on the ego. He had the ego before he even went. But I to... don't think it's it's an ego that. What are you talking was... about? No, 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 no. It's an ego, but it's not an unwarranted ego, and it's not quite frankly, apart from one time. With Pep Guardiola, it's never been an ego that's gotten in the way. It's been an ego that actually has attracted three defenders onto him and gotten midfielders like Antonio Nocerino 
and Kevin Prince Boateng 10 goals in a season. Nostrino had the coolest hairstyle of all time. What a beard, too. Fading into the beard. I knew you'd like that. Oh, incredible. But I'm not seeing it. And if you have a coach who's entering their peak, well, at the time, what people thought their peak and saying you need to trial, here are some of the world's best players on the team and you're not going to trial to see how you would gel if you're like no i don't do that then that tells me your ego at whatever he would have been 18 19 it's not happening so i i i do want to drop the ball i want to i want to go back to blackburn though and take a few years back so you were talking about the year 2000 yeah i want to go back to blackburn 1995 so this is the year after the summer, right after they won the title. With Alan Shearer. Yeah. Alan Shearer and managed by Kenny Dalglish. Ooh. What do you need to do to reinforce a title-winning squad with some of, you know, Shearer, obviously, um, and a player who I will quote in a few a few seconds. Who do you bring in a midfield player that totally can change and control the game who do you think this person would be i think it would have to be someone that uh, revisionist historians think is a lot more impactful on a game than he actually was because oh, no. he was a highlight reel but for 80 minutes he was walking around on the pitch are we thinking about the same player i think we are zinedine zidane zizou I don't know about walking around the pitch for 80 minutes, but in revisionist history, that's a very hot take when people can, you know, I think that's all you have to do. If you can change the game in 10 minutes, why? Yeah, absolutely. Why yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so yeah, Zinedine Zidane, he would have been a young, a young kid in 95. And he from was- From Bordeaux. Yep. From Bordeaux to the point where everyone on the- the Blackburn team knew that this kid was going to come in and trial. He, he, and one of his teammates, I forgot the teammate's name, but they, they were walking around the training grounds. They did some practice sessions. And when it came down to it, Kenny Delgley said, this is the guy I want. And he was available for three and a half million. And the chairman at the time for Blackburn Rovers said, and I quote, why would I want Zidane when we have Tim Sherwood? Oh, no. Tim Sherwood, the, the guy from Spurs. The guy from Spurs. Oh, the disgraced no. coach from Spurs. He was oh, the midfielder no. there. Um, and so they did everything. This is from Tim Sherwood actually saying this in an interview several years ago where he was there when Zidane was holding the kit. They were doing some passing drills, him and his teammate that were coming from Bordeaux and just the the chairman said i i don't want that kind of player and he's been very public about it the chairman in interviews during in that summer where he was saying like he has talent but not what we're looking for oh. so what do they go ahead and do they go ahead and spend for two players the same the same amount of money that they would have bought for Zidane on two players that you you would know very well adam reed and maddie holmes for Blackburn that summer to reinforce their midfield and their defense. Matty Holmes? Adam Reed? Well, the reason you have that questioning attitude is <laughs> they went on to play a total combined oh, no. appearances for the club of nine matches. Oh, God. Oh, no. And so Zidane, Zidane goes to Juventus. Oh, Zidane no. stays one more summer at his club. And then the next year he goes for three and a half million to oh, Juventus sticker price so what happens after that Shearer leaves the team falls apart <laughs> they go from title winning to sixth place the year after 13th and they just plummet to what eventually became the 2000 and I think 11 relegation side of Blackburn Rovers and it just goes to show that you know one person can really change the the destiny of your club and let's not forget we're taking it back to you know we thought Lewandowski in 2010 was a huge loss 
arguably one of the better midfielders in the last 40 years, mm. best midfielders in the last four years, could have been yours for basically the price you paid for two players who didn't play for your club. It's and he insane. was there. He was willing to play. He wanted to go there. Um, obviously, like, I don't know why he wouldn't, you know, all jokes aside, they were the title winning team in a big league. It would have been a big move for him. All the, all the accolades you can, you could want as well. Yeah. Um, and it just didn't shape out because of a chairman who probably, let's be honest, not a footballing tactician brain, but Damn. knows that the Englishman Sherwood is there. Everyone likes him. He's, uh, he's just led you to a title. Why do you need to invest in a kid? Oh man. My, my only thought there is 1995 premier league was a very far cry from the premier league of today in terms of the gameplay. It was a lot of English players that would run down the wing and cross and very, very stringent type of type of football. I don't know if he would have had that type of creative freedom, which we then got to know him for. You could say you could argue that, but what what better way to find out than a couple years down the road who right. comes to the league and reinvents it from the brutal the brutal fouls and tackles and four four two to a little more creative flair? Another Frenchman, your man, my man, Arsene Wenger. Yeah, well, well, well. I mean, that's because uh, he comes in what ninety seven. Yep, ninety seven. So- so you have a Blackburn team who probably more than more likely than not with Fergie entering his dominating era, they're going to fall to the wayside. And you right. have this asset who a lot of English clubs probably and pundits and everybody, this, this French player, you know, he's good on the ball, but he's not robust enough for the league. There is a, there is a, a shout for Zidane ending up under a, a Frenchman to be a creative player. I think there's a bidding war there, what you see after one year at Blackburn between Fergie and Wenger. Uh, and he could very well also end up at United with That's that class right. of 92 or whatever it was, right? With with Becks and the and the like and the gigs. And Where does he play in that midfield, though? Where does he fit in that midfield? Well, behind the strikers, right? I mean, Bex is out on the right. Giggs is on the left. He plays in the middle with Scolzi. Get out. Ugh. Get I'm out. Sick. I'm sick. It's too much. It's too much. Um, so, yeah, that could, that could make that United dominance even, uh, even more hardcore. But, yeah, Zidane, I, that's where it could have been. Instead, he goes to Juve, right? Whatever it is, five years or so, and then uh, ultimately uh, to, to Real. And now... Jude Bellingham wearing his number and in Madrid. Absolutely crushing it for what a player. For 19. And he knows it too. He knows how is he still 19? I've been watching him for like four years now. It's not possible. He knows he's good. That's the best. That's the best part about yeah. you know, that he's the best. He has the the aura about him as well. That are you not entertained uh, gladiator vibes on the, on the goal with his uh, with his arms up? Yeah, I mean in front of the away fans, love yeah, it. very different type of player to Zidane, but also like I mean it's it's a different it's a different game today. I'm sure Zidane would have also had to adjust his uh, his own gameplay, right? A lot of what he gained was because of in a way his lack of pace, uh, and we have that discussion about the dying breed on every episode, right? Yeah, he was part of that. Yeah, we have the discussion and. I mean, like he said, like you said earlier, he was a high, walking highlight reel, quite literally. But some of the the moves, you you even watch it when they slow it down, yeah. And the highlights on YouTube, and I don't know how you get your feet to move like that with the ball. But not only that, some of the moves and the way the defender would just he would make them look so stupid, and you realize how hard that is to have such control on the ball where a defender looks like they're an amateur. Um, and I'll have to find the exact clip and send it to you. But there's one where I think I've watched it probably a hundred times and I still don't understand how how the ball moves like that. Um, and so great player. We... Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, great player. And I think obviously the headbutt 
in 2006, the final. That was well, probably one of the first times actually just where I grew up not having a lot of matches on TV. Um, I remember my, my grandparents talking about it a lot, you know, French speaking. They felt like they were rooting for France. So watching it with my, my grandpa at the time when I was really young and um, it was like one of my fondest memories I've had. And then every time he touched the ball on the screen, you know, everyone in my household going like hush, hush or going crazy when he does something good. And then when he, when he headbutts, um, just my everyone God. in my house, just walking out of the room, like in disgust, like we never, we <laughs> never liked this guy to begin with, even though they've been like, everyone's wearing the Jersey. They're saying his name that he's, you know, Middle Eastern descent, all of this stuff. Um, so just very fond memories of the player and just finding out, you know, in hindsight, like he was at the end of his career when he was putting on the France shirt and still, you know, performing yeah, at a, a pretty high level. What a World Cup run. Too bad for him. It ended the way it did. Uh, having said that, can we agree on one thing about Zizou that he should have shaved his head about 10 years before he actually did? Yeah, he's one of those guys you you've got to do it early and you've got to embrace the look cuz he does look you know pretty good as a bald. Yeah, definitely. Like fantastic actually. Handsome looking dude now. Definitely, but you look at him in that uh baggy Juventus shirt with the number 21 and a view from the back with just a spot on the top of his head which like Doesn't it make you think though that his personal life he must have been a really weird kid like to go around yeah. with that hairstyle, you must be thinking like, this guy <laughs> doesn't care at all what he looks like, but he must be a strange guy, but he's really good. So we're just going to let him yeah. do his thing and no one's going to tell him like, hey, just <laughs> just let it go. And that's before, that, I mean, maybe it's a different time, but now with the social media era and the footballers right. there, you know, there are some players as well with questionable hairstyles. So... Um, we can make an eleven of the weirdest hairstyles and oh yes, the let it let it go let it go crew. Uh, what a shout! At, real quick, we'll maybe do that for another episode. But we should a- have two teams, right? The the most swag hairstyles like Clarence with the dreadlocks, and then <laughs> Nocherino in the midfield. Apparently, I don't really remember Nocherino's oh, hair. Oh, it was beautiful. It was beautiful. He would do the faux hawk, and then it would fade into the beard perfectly. Oh, wow, it made him yeah. look so much better as a player than what he probably was. A handsome man. Yeah, he was a very scrappy uh, midfielder, but uh, yeah. Wow, okay. Yeah, I'm see- I'm looking at it now. Yeah, Starting okay. left back right now for bad hairstyles, Matt Ritchie. Matt New- Ritchie. Newcastle fans will know the hair oh. is is just not good. Not good at all. Not happening. But Roy, I have one more for you if you have the appetite for a bit more of nostalgia. Let's do it. 2003, Barca offers Startlet from PSG to build a team around him. You know who it is. He ends up going to Barca. Who is it? Ronaldinho. So... They offer him that, but in the meantime, he takes a flight up to Manchester. And uh, legend has it, legend has it, that Fergie pulls all the stops to try to convince him to come there. And Quinton Fortune, I don't know if you remember him, he was kind of warming that United bench in those years, has gone on the record saying that the reason Ronaldinho decided not to go there is because it was raining on the day he visited (laughs) Old Trafford. I think I know what you're talking about. That's great. It wasn't his vibe, the rain. Um, Now, imagine he goes there on a sunny day. Fergie, very persuasive guy. Instead of going to Frankie Reichardt at Barca and kick-starting the whole legendary Barca cycle, because remember, before Pep, they won a Champions League with Frankie Reichardt in 2006, and Ronaldinho was on top of the world for three years. Um, Just what a player. What, what? How much joy he brought us uh, watching. The, the swag number 10 hairstyle, by the way. Oh, man. Unbelievable. He would be in the nightclub until, you know, three in the morning, show up for the match and, and just make fun of everybody else, basically. Just ridiculing everybody else. But now imagine that summer he doesn't go there. Bex is going to Real anyway. But Ronaldinho 
ends up at Manchester United means at the end of that window, they don't go for Cristiano Ronaldo either. Oh, no, don't do this to me. So Cristiano, the alternative at the time, technically, do you want to hear? Yeah. Was Arsenal. Oh, uh, I knew you were. Don't do this to me. Oh, this is this is torture. Um, so, okay, let's forget the Slatan parallel universe. It's, it is a parallel universe. It's not part of this. But Cristiano ends up at Arsenal instead of United. Ronaldinho at United, I don't think it works. I think he's is just... He's too depressed. He doesn't like the weather. He, he doesn't, doesn't like he being doesn't, in England. He doesn't work off the ball hard enough for the Fergie team. No, exactly. So I don't think that works out well, which basically could have a big impact on, on that Barcelona cycle. But at the same time, we end up with a Cristiano Ronaldo at Arsenal for maybe the next five, six years. So that would have been what year? 2004? 2003, 2004 was his first season at United. So that would have been his first at Arsenal. My word, that would have been the Invincibles year. Yeah, or even if you're doing the year after, you move Thierry up top and have a young Ronaldo out wide. Yeah, that would have been a terrifying reload of the squad, especially when you have Fabregas slotting in, Mm -hmm. taking over the midfield as well. They definitely win that 2006 Champions League over you know, a Barca I, I that doesn't so. have Ronaldinho, right? I think so. Unbelievable. So, yeah, I wanted to, to leave you with that little... Uh, that was cruel, if, and I knew yeah. it was coming, right? When you uh, you said Manchester, I was like, this is this is the classic winger saying, you know, he almost had Ronaldo and he lost him at the last minute to Fergie. Um, this is like another parallel, not parallel, but another thought that I've always had. How the hell did they find these players at a young age in all these clubs before social media? And the the scouting network must have been yeah, it was un- actual scouting. Believable. And- but you you needed to have boots on the ground at the time because I remember the only reason we got Kaká in 2003 was because we had Leonardo, the one that then ended up at PSG and stuff. We had him literally on the ground in Brazil feeding us that information. Yeah. And, you know, just using a very recent example with Martinelli coming from the third division of Mm. Brazilian football, there was a scout who was just watching a game and saw this, this kid playing and say, Hey, you, you're going to, you need to pay for So they paid 5 million for Martinelli revamped the whole club that he was at. I think they're now close to the first division, but Mm. the $5 million, like his, he didn't have a market value. No, when he was playing there, but it was just kind of like no one takes a chance or finds a player like this until they they go viral these days. Um, I mean, how many um, we can use? Maybe it's still early days. Mudrick at Chelsea, his highlight reel is oh god, yeah. Uh, it cost a bidding war of a hundred million. Yeah, the the pre Chelsea highlight reel, just to the pre Chelsea highlight reel, <laughs> um, where you know. Then you take a look back at some of this. Like he's only played thir- how many professional thirty professional games, and yeah, you're spending that much. So just a shout out to scouting networks and scouts in you know early '90s to maybe the mid 2000s of before the you the, before YouTube got popular. The boots on the ground work that you had to do mm. um, was incredible. Yeah, massive shout out to to all you scouts out there getting getting your dues before the Moneyball era, and uh, yeah, Mudrik, uh, very uh, very interesting. You should mention him because uh, how how do you feel about that now? You were quite sad about it in January when you weren't. I was quite him. sad because I felt that you know we needed one player, and I fell for the highlight reel. Tale as old as time. Um, I'm not proud to admit when I saw the. Marwan Shamak highlight reel. I thought, yes, God, this is. Does he have a highlight reel? Hey, he could jump pretty high. Okay. In hindsight, guys I, re- I actually, in just in preparing for this podcast, I remember why I, I wanted to remember how I felt about some of these highlight reels and watching Shamak, the video. I remember the thumbnail. I was like, I know this video. I've seen it before on YouTube about 13 years ago. Turns out it's a lot of him jumping. They just changed the camera angle a few times. Um, <laughs> so I fell for that one and it showed. I have a 
quick story on uh, Shamak. So I had a friend um, who was playing semi-professional in Columbus, Ohio. And okay. he was a big Manchester United fan, huge fan. And he was late for the game, but he had to use the restroom. So he pulls into a gas station right outside of the stadium that they're playing at. And he's late for warmups. He pulls into the stall. He looks over and Marlon Shamak is in this Columbus, Ohio rest area. And he's wearing a Crystal Palace jersey. According to my friend, he was at Palace, I'm pretty sure. But he's wearing his jersey (laughs) to the toilet toilet at this gas station. And so... There's this whole, you know, back and forth where he's like, "Can I get a picture with you?" And they're in the bathroom of a, of a gas station in, outside of Columbus, Ohio. And what? so I guess Shamak was, you know, training with maybe Palace at the time. I, I'm pretty sure it was, he was there. But there's a there's a photo somewhere on the internet of my friend with Marwan, Marwan Shamak outside of a of a rest area in Columbus, Ohio, which tells you how far and how crazy that guy's career went, where he ended up in that position <laughs> but what's he doing at a gas station in columbus ohio he didn't just happen to drive there from south london no and i think there was a little bit of a language gap between <laughs> oh, my friend and uh marwan so after marwan had already been in 100 percent. you cannot mistake him for any other guy the, Shabbat, the hair that's another guy who should have let it go he should have let let it go. The gel he would use in the hair, but um, I just wanted to throw in that quick story there. Wow. Okay. Uh, must have been there for for a preseason friendly or something. But yes, Maran Shamak, uh, sixty five appearances and eighteen goals for the Moroccan national team before they were cool. Yeah, before they were cool. And before we hop out, Nick, I I know I bashed on the Blackburn Rovers hopes and dreams a little bit, but I, mm. I wanted to share two more things real quick. Um, one on Blackburn on black specifically, this is a Blackburn Rovers podcast, by the way, <laughs> but specifically on the pains and toils that you must be going through as fans with, I'm not sure if you know anything about Blackburn, but they had a very talented Chilean player, Benjamin Diaz, who Benjamin had put, Diaz. Up, put up some pretty good numbers um at his time at Blackburn so he was touted to go to let me let me list some of the the rumors for the last two summers so he's about I think he's 24 right now he's a striker who comes off the left really tricky two-footed player should not be in the championship by any means um so some of the teams he's been linked with pretty heavily some even by the fraud himself, Fabrizio Romano. I um, actually heard him on a podcast today. What a joke. Yeah, yeah. He just copies everybody and just puts his own thing on it. But anyway, we're not going to get into it. You can come on our podcast and defend your actions. Yeah, at a um, gas station in Columbus, Ohio. Yeah. So some of these teams he was rumored with. Sevilla, two summers in a row. Okay. Southampton, Wolves, Nice, Everton. Crystal Palace, West Ham, <laughs> and Nottingham Forest. I went on transfer market. Yeah. His value was $24 million. Okay. He didn't want to be at Blackburn, probably. So right. he ends up this summer going to Villarreal, and he's playing on the wing. Who did he replace, Nick? Chukweze. Chukweze. But here's the worst part for Blackburn fans out here. He left on a free. Oh. So he was last year, or last summer, they had turned down a Crystal Palace bid for 15 million plus add-ons for this guy, knowing that Zaha was probably on his way out and maybe the next partnership with him playing striker with Olise outright, Zaha left. And Eberiche Eze, who I think is an absolute monster, he playing in that that top one. four would have been a mm. potentially streets remember crew. You know, <laughs> we have the Southampton squads, but instead yeah. he leaves on a free. And I looked at Blackburn Rovers, who are in the mid of the championship. I looked at their total transfers in and out this year, and they've re- retooled their whole roster. 
for a whopping 3.4 million pounds or pounds essentially. Right. So letting their best talent in years, legitimately (laughs) years, go on a free where they could, if they would have sold him last summer, retool to the point where you have money to buy players to take you from mid-table championship back to the Premier League where you can fail on the next Lewandowski or Zinedine Zidane is just shocking to me. So I wanted to highlight that. And one more thing, because I was on a Blackburn Rovers kick. This um, poor Blackburn fan that has listened up until the end of the podcast. There is there is a, a shining light out of all of this. There is a player called Ryan Hedges, I think. But he had a goal against Watford this this weekend. And you need to look it up on YouTube. It's fantastic. He receives the ball at the top of the 18, uh-huh. traps it with the with the left, juggles it over to the right, hits two, three juggles in the air while running down the line, no. and smashes it in near post. And it was one of the best goals I have seen, I think, this year. I mean, we're still early into it. Yeah. But this is a championship player. And I was like, wow, maybe this guy's a talent. So I look up the last time he scored a goal. It was two years ago against Watford. It's his only goal since he played against uh, Watford a couple of years ago. But oh, I wanted man. to shout out probably the best goal of the week from the, the championship team, Blackburn Rovers. I love it. And it reminds me of when Blackburn was in the Premier League. And actually, do you remember the Turk guy who scored a wonder volley from about 35 meters out? So... A bit, uh, some more uh, magic uh, dust for for the Blackburn fans still listening. And then final thing on Blackburn, just massive shout out to my guy, AC Milan legend, Yondel Thomason, the Great Dane, the White Scorpion, who is coaching them now. Oh, lovely. How about that? Yeah, I'm just happy for him, you know? it's the White uh, Scorpion. It's a great career move. What a nickname. What a nickname, exactly. How's his hair? I think still solid. Nice blonde locks and uh I mean yeah. I'm thinking a white the, the nickname the white scorpion, you're in that starting eleven for the hair. You've gotta be. You've gotta be, right? And Roy, on that note, thinking of Moran Shamak at a rest station in the middle of Ohio with his Crystal Palace shirt on, I bid you farewell. Thanks for coming on. Love it. Chat soon. <laughs>